Good morning. If you'll go ahead and have a seat, we'll get started. This week in the office, um, as Dee Fuller was working there with us, uh, Dee and I began to have some conversations about podcasts, and not about what we were listening to, but, but about how fast we were listening to them, um, and not just about who could get the most episodes in, but who could get the play rate speed up the highest. And so we had both decided we were good at one and a half, and we were going to take the venture to move to 1.75 speed and try to wake our, uh, make our way up to two times the speed. But if you look at your clock this morning, I can't talk that fast as I can listen to a podcast. So don't worry. I don't think tamales will run out of chips. I think you'll be fine. Um, Tony's will probably still have enough bread. Um, so if you look at your clock and you think, I've got to get out of here, the Cowboys don't play till 325. So any excuse that you might have, we can find an excuse for uh, of, of why we can stay a little bit longer this morning. So my name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and so we will uh, be continuing our series through the songs of Christmas. So a couple of weeks ago, um, Dr. Branson looked at Mary's song and we could see some, uh, the idea of hope in there, which is one of the words for Advent. And, and last week, Justin looked at Zechariah's song, and we could see some ideas of peace, which is one of the Advent's words in there. And then today's message, our, the main idea, that area that we will be focusing on is the angel's song. And, and really what we see is uh, we see some hints of joy in there as, as we would look and at today's text, and as we lit a candle that represents joy, we can see the same idea there. And so we're going to break down all of these things today, and what we're going to end up seeing, the thing that we should look to, and the thing that hopefully we find at the end of this morning, is that we have this joy because of what Jesus has done for us, not because of our circumstances here. We have the joy because Jesus came to the earth as a baby, was in a cradle, was in a manger. And because of that, it starts the process of him living this perfect life so that we could have redemption through him. And so all of that points to the gospel of how we have a relationship with him. So this morning we're going to be in the book of Luke, and we're going to start in chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 through 14 this morning. Uh, and, and we'll do a quick overview of verses 1 through 7 to help provide some context. But we'll really find ourselves focusing on verses 8 through 14 this morning. So we'll read verses 1 through 14, but we'll be in verses 8 through 14. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew back in front of you. You can take it out if you don't know how to get to where you're going. There's a table of context in the front, and we'll be in chapter 2. Uh, so just a couple pages from the beginning of Luke. So let's read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. This is what we see the Lord saying. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the household and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And they were there. The time came to give, or for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. 
And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping their watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is our text this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Uh, Father, this morning as we look at your word, and Father, how Jesus comes to be here on earth. And Father, we may have read this passage many of times throughout the many years, but Father, would you speak to us? Father, as we see your word today, maybe for uh, maybe we read it yesterday at a family Christmas, but Father, today, as we look at your word, Father, would you speak to us? Would you help us find ways to apply this to our lives, to see how we can become better followers of you? Father, today, as we would leave this place in moments later, Father, would we see how we can apply this and live this out to, to impact our family, to impact our friends, and to look like you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we're going to summarize verses 1 through 7. And so we're not going to focus on this. We're going to kind of jump to verses 8 through 14. But uh, as I was kind of preparing and I thought if I just read verses 8 through 14, we're kind of skipping the whole point of Jesus being born, right? And so I thought we've got to talk about it a little bit. And so God wasn't surprised in this time. This, there was a, this decree, this was God's plan for Jesus to be born in this way in the city of David, in the town of Bethlehem. So God wasn't surprised. He wasn't caught off guard. This was his ordained plan before time. He he, he knew like at some point there was a prophecy of of Jesus being born in in Bethlehem, but this wasn't like God sitting up uh, and maybe in heaven or wherever and and going like, how am I going to get Mary to to, uh, the city of David to, to have Jesus be born there? Like he hasn't, like he's got it figured out. This was his plan. So he used Caesar Augustus to send out a decree to, to have them come here. So he used someone who wasn't even a follower of Christ to accomplish this purpose of getting Jesus to Bethlehem to be born. This was the Lord's plan. God was working through this, through this decree from Caesar Augustus. And then the other thing that we see is that Jesus came in a lowly way. So Jesus came in a lowly way. If we sing the song Manger Throne um, that Caleb picked out for us, that fits this idea of Jesus came from heaven to a cradle. Jesus came from heaven to a manger. John Piper said it this way this week as I was researching and, and looking at this text. John Piper called it a stinking feeding trough. So I don't know if he was using that stinking as a figure of speech or of the literal smell that they would be smelling around this baby. But either way, he was in a a stinking feeding trough. Jesus could have came in many ways, but he came in a lowly, in a small entrance. Not a big entrance, not like a concert, not a big announcement, not with fancy lights. Like what we would see if you turn on the Cowboys game at about 3.15 today, they're probably going to put up an image of these guys running outside of this tunnel, 
with lights and fog and music. They probably got a DJ hidden somewhere, and they're having a good time. They're making a big entrance. If you would think about concerts, concert artists come, come off onto the stage with loud music and songs and lights, and, and they have this grand time. Jesus could have entered in, in, in this way, and all the tension could have been brought to him, but what we see is Jesus came in a lowly way. Athletes and artists like to point the attention to themselves. What we see is Jesus is really coming in this lowly way. And then a, a reminder from this text it is this idea of finding room in the inn, finding room for Jesus to be born in as Mary and Joseph are going around, isn't like Hotel America. So if we would think of like, oh, they just needed to get to the Holiday Inn Express. Or if we would think like if you've ever been to Branson and, and you drive down the main streets, there's signs at each hotel that say vacancy or no vacancy. It wasn't like they were just looking for this. Most likely what's happening here is they're probably finding a room in somebody's house is what they're probably trying to do. And probably most of the guest rooms at this time have been taken, and that's why they end up in a stable. That's why they end up in this barn that was probably even next, just maybe right next door to um, their house. Maybe even could have had a half wall between the living room and the stable. And so oftentimes we throw some shade at these innkeepers, and we go like, why are these innkeepers not finding a place for Jesus to be born? And we kind of get on this like rant about how bad these people are. If we would remind ourselves this was the Lord's plan for Jesus to be born in this way, if Jesus wanted him to be born in, in another way, he could have made it happen. But he chose this way. He chose Jesus coming in a lowly way. The Lord provided a place. This was the Lord's plan. And so we will now, we're going to try to transition into our focus on verses 8 through 14. And then what we see is Jesus was born in a lowly way, but what we also see is Jesus was announced to lowly people. And so Jesus was announced to the shepherds. The angels came and they announced his birth to these shepherds. And we see in verse 8 that these shepherds were out watching their flock by night. And it, it, what we could translation, transition this to say, or translate this to say is they were doing what they do. Like they were just doing their job that day. So maybe if you're an engineer, it's like, hey, they're just out typing code. Um, or, or maybe you're out crawling on an airplane. Or, or maybe you're nursing somebody back to health. Or, or maybe you're sitting at a desk. Or maybe you're teaching your kids. Or, or whatever it may be. It was just a normal day for these shepherds. They were simply just watching their flock or maybe whatever livestock they were watching at this time. It seems that they, they were probably having a very ordinary day watching and just doing what a shepherd would, would do, just a normal day, until we read what happens in verse 9. And I say, when we would read verse 9, I would say their day took a big change. It was quite um, drastic. It became very different something that they probably never experienced before, something that probably caught them off guard, something that surprised them, right? Something that caused them fear. Before we jump into this idea on verse 9, though, let's look at these shepherds and, and why we say that Jesus came or Jesus was announced to lowly people. One of, we, one of the ideas that we would see is Jesus came and was announced to lowly people, and, and he went to the, or the angel came to the shepherds. And what we would see is because of the law and because of the Old Covenant, shepherds were often considered unclean and dirty people. 
On top of that reputation of because they were hanging out with animals all the time, shepherds had often become people who were looked at as dishonest people. They were viewed as lowly people. The idea behind here is that shepherds were often considered outcasts. They were often considered sinners. And I would say this is the exact people that Jesus came for. Because we're all outcasts, we're all sinners, and we all have a need for the Savior. We would also see the shepherds were often lumped into the same category of gamblers or tax collectors. And so they were often looked down upon. They weren't viewed in a good way by culture. They were often looked down upon, not just because of their reputation, but because of the job that they had. They had given their life to be with animals. They weren't really with people. They had given their life to be with animals. And because of this, we could probably say they probably didn't smell good as well. But the idea here is the message of the gospel came to the shepherds first. Not to the high and mighty And so this would remind us that God came to save all of us, the needy, the poor in spirits. The shepherds were despised by good people at that time, but they, Jesus was being announced to them. They were the outcasts, but what we would see is they were recipients of the good news of the gospel. They were the first people to hear the good news of the gospel. I think this points to how gracious our God is, and how we have nothing to do with our salvation, that it is an act of God. After this instance with the shepherds, we see a change in the way they are viewed. No one wanted to be considered a shepherd, but what we would see later on in the New Testament is Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He kind of takes this identity of he watches the flocks. He knows his sheep by name. And so he takes this identity as a shepherd and begins to kind of, in our view, redeems that identity that Jesus went to the shepherds. He was announced to the shepherds. He became a shepherd, and he redeems this identity. And so Jesus came to bring change to those he encountered. And so this is what we could say is a simple picture that we can see the life-changing power of the good news. And then in verse 9, we see the, some of the same flow of when the angels came in chapter 1. The angel's appearance, and then what we see in verse 9 is also a response of fear. The angel here does not identify itself as what angel it is, but we see an angel appearing in this field. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, it speaks about the good news being proclaimed to the poor. This is exactly what's happening here. Luke actually addresses this idea from Luke 61.1 in chapter 4 and chapter 7 as well. And and Luke refers to this being a a key part of Jesus' ministry. And so what we see is Jesus came for all people. Jesus came for all sinners. When the angel appears, we see the glory was around them. This is God manifesting his presence in this moment among these people. The Lord was there in this moment. The shepherds at this time were in the presence of the living God. And as we see the glory of the Lord shone around them. Glory can also oftentimes be described as something with weight or with splendor or with righteousness. And all of these things would be associated with this radiant light that they're experiencing at this time. This was something that was shocking to the shepherds. Something that they had not witnessed before. And what we see is because of this, a great deal of fear was brought among them. This was something that caught them off guard. 
And, but I would say, as we would look and say they had a fear, I would say this is a right response to being in the presence of the Lord being around them. And then what we see in, in, in verse 10 is a word of reassurance. As the shepherd or the angels came and the, the glory of the Lord around them, it says that they had a great fear. But the first thing that we see in verse 10 is this, is the angel said to them, fear not. And so they are reassured to not be afraid, to fear not. The very thing that has startled them is now the very thing that, has, is, that is providing reassurance to not be scared, to not be afraid. It's the thing that is providing them comfort. The angel tells them that they are bringing good news and great joy. And it says for all people. An angelic appearance that would simply just impress these shepherds with brilliance. And if it stopped there, they would have just been left in fear. But the, the purpose of this visit from these angels wasn't just to surprise them and to leave them in fear, but it was to bring the good news to them. There was a reason for them to be caught off guard. There was a message and a reason that the angels were bringing to them. The words used here are talking about bringing good news of great joy to them are, are some of the same words that we see in the New Testament that translate the same as to preach the good news. And, and so that would translate to the idea of the gospel. The angel is bringing the gospel of Jesus that is for all people. They're breaking this message. This wasn't just a message for the Jews. It wasn't just a message for the Gentiles. Luke says that this is a message for all people. The message of this good news is, is what brings us joy. This is how we have joy on earth, because of Jesus coming to earth to offer the gospel for all people. So without Jesus, there would be no joy. And then what we see in verse 11 is the divine message of the good news. Jesus' role here as Savior is also given him the title of Christ and Lord. So he is Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so these verses and these words give a brief summary of the gospel message and provides a reason for the statement found in these previous verses. And so what we see is, although Christ is a, actually a title, this verse reveals that the title was closely revealed with Jesus of Nazareth, who is soon will, his name will be Jesus Christ. And so although Savior may be less than the Son of God or, or Lord in our ideas, it's remarkable in this context because what we would know is Caesar Augustus was trying and claiming at this time to be the Savior of the world. He had come to tell these people that I have come to save you. But what we see is Jesus, who is now here, has come to save us, to come to offer us salvation. Caesar had claimed to be the Savior, but we know Jesus, the one and only Savior, is now on earth. This is the message of the angels. Although what we see is the realization of the authority of the titles given as Christ and as Lord, they would await the resurrection to, to, in a way to receive these titles, that he is the one in control, he is the one of Christ. He was given this, these authorities then. He didn't have to wait to the end to have these authorities. And then what we see, the giving of a sign in verse 12. The sign that they were given it was that they would find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And so here's what we see. This is what they are to look for. 
They're given this idea of what am I looking for? Who am I to find? It's like if we would send you off out of here and say, hey, like we placed a surprise in Greenville somewhere and left you with no direction to what to find or what you're looking for. These shepherds were given exact, the exact thing that they were to look for. So what we see from this angelic announcement, if they did not have this, they would not know that there was a Savior in the world and they would not who, know who they were looking for. But this is how they find Emmanuel, who is God with us. This is how they find Jesus, the Savior of the world. This is how they find Christ. This is uh, how they uh, find the Lord. And so would you imagine, without this direction, that the Savior of the world would be in a feed trough? But what we see is Jesus came in a lowly way, and because of this, we see them looking for exactly what the angels have given them to look for. And then what we see in verses 13 and 14 is the song of the angels. And then what we see is a praise for Jesus' coming. The angelic song does not just provide some mystical thing of heaven and earth. But what we would see is, is it rather celebrates two sovereign works of God. One in heaven and one on earth. God's activity is praised in both. Glory in heaven and peace on earth. Glory to God and peace to humanity. The Christmas message of this passage should make us think not just this time of the year, but it should sing, for, we should sing year around. One of the things that I noticed this morning is as a church, we sing really loud when Christmas music is played. Oftentimes, though, when we would sing a song that we sing somewhat often, House of the Lord, and it says that there's joy in the house of the Lord. Sometimes maybe we could look around and we go, is there? And so are we going to just proclaim this message and be joyful this time of the year? I would say this, we have something to celebrate all year long, not just four weeks out of the year. And so this is where we would find our joy, a joy that would last a year round because of what God has done and the glory that we should give to him. We should find our joy from the Lord in no other way. This joy came because God alone and what he had done. It was first upward as they glorified God in heaven in the highest, and then it was outward as to all men on earth, peace to men who his favor rests. There's peace and there's wholeness. There's well-being for those who have been favored by God's grace. And then what we see is their glory to God in the highest. And they, this highest refers to the highest heavens, but then we see the peace which offers and refers to, to the full blessing of Jesus being the Savior, being Christ, being the Lord. This is what we see and this is how we receive salvation. And then what we see is Jesus didn't only come in a lowly way with a lowly, uh, uh, being announced to lowly people, but Jesus offers us salvation by a lowly way. Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Christ, the King of the world, came from a manger to a cross. The song that we sang earlier puts it in this way, that Jesus came from heaven to a cradle to a cross. And this is where we are at. Jesus offers us salvation because of a lowly, way. A death that he died on a cross that we didn't deserve, but put him in a lowly position. For the angel said that there was good news for all people that, that day. 
So whoever you are, or wherever you might be, Jesus is there for you as Savior, as Christ, as Messiah, as Lord. And then what we would see in Hebrews 7, 24 and 25, it says this, because Jesus lives forever, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus didn't just come for a moment to be born, but Jesus came and he lived a life perfectly so that we could have redemption through his death on the cross. This is the gospel that Jesus came to die for our sin. And so Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us if we confess with our Lord or confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. This is how we accept this truth in our lives. This is how we make Jesus the Lord of our lives. This is how we would accept this gift of salvation. This is the message of the gospel. I mean, if you have more questions about that, I would love to talk with you. Somebody on staff would love to talk with you. One of our elders would love to talk with you as well. And then what we see is how would we all have liked to have been there at this moment? Maybe to be a fly on the wall is what we would normally say, but maybe a fly on a sheep's ear. But actually through this choir in heaven, it played a major role. We are, are here on earth have the best part. God came to save man, not angels. God came to redeem us, not angels. Ours is the best part here. And we praise God for all eternity because of what Jesus has done for us. So maybe the question that we have for ourselves today is, what are we going to do, church? Are we going to live a life of praise? Are we going to live a life of joy because of what Jesus has done for us? Oftentimes, I think we say Advent is for reflecting on Jesus is coming, uh, uh, or Jesus is first coming and awaiting his second coming and looking forward to that. I would also say that Christmas time seems to be the busiest time of the year. And we oftentimes don't really actually sit down to look at these things. So maybe a question that we could ask is, are we living a life of joy? Are we living a life of praise? Are we taking time to praise Him? Are we taking time to be joyous and, and thanking the Lord for what He has done for us? And so I'm going to pray right now, and as the band comes up, we will worship. And Father, we th we're thankful for um, Your Word, Father, how it teaches and guides us. Father, today as we look at the song of the angels and the glory that they praised You with, Father, it's the same glory that we're called to praise you with. The same, the same way we are called to worship you. So, Father, today, is, maybe as we enter into a time of response and reflection, Father, would you move in our people? Would you move in our hearts by your Spirit? Father, we know that your Word is good for, for teaching and, and, and for convicting and for uh, reproach. And so, Father, would you use your word to, to, to change our lives today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.